Hello, you're listening to Unrelenting Drive. I'm award-winning accountant, Northamptonshire Business Person of the Year, Nishi Patel, and I'm going to be interviewing successful business owners to learn how they achieved their dream and the adversity they had to overcome along the way. This is essential listening if you're running a business and need the motivation to scale it. You'll learn about what drives them forward when most people give up, how they made it through their darkest days, and the advice they would give to someone following in their footsteps. So today I'm joined by Dipesh Patel from Dealerfront, and um, he is going to tell us about what he does. Hello. Um, so currently I have a website company, website slash software company. Um, we deal with the automotive market, so used car dealers. Um, we have quite a lot of them. So we do basically the backbone of their marketing through software. Um, and um, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Awesome. Yeah. And how did you get into that, Dipesh? It's a long road. Um, I've, I've, I've always been pretty keen on the business side of things. But for this particular one, I was in America at the time and I was an auto trader magazine rep. Um, I was pretty friendly with my customers and I had one customer in particular, um, who probably back in 2004 told me websites are the future. You should get into this. And I kind of had some sort of coding background, not some, not anything impressive, but, um, I thought it was a good idea. So I, I, I took six months, six, six, six to nine months. And I, um, built him a website and, um, showed it to him. He loved it. And, um, I thought literally I was going to get a one-off payment. It was like a hobby of mine. I get a one-off payment for it. And, um, he offered me a monthly price. He said, just, you know, how does $199 sound? I said, it sounds pretty good. Thanks. And then he said, all right, just give me your account stuff and I'll send it to you every month. And I thought that's more than a hobby. That's, that's, that's a business and I can do something with this. And that's, that's how I, that's how I got into it. Yeah, that's, pretty amazing actually because um like w when i'm working with clients i'm, I'm always advising them you've you got to trade up in terms of types of income so uh, we've got a hierarchy in terms of what what's the best kind of income and what's the what's the worst and like you you went in there expecting like a one-off transaction then it sounds like you actually ended up with like a monthly recurring revenue and um you know go, going down this model of like being able to rent someone something for for the rest of their business that seems like um it, it seems like a highly profitable move yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I didn't know what it was called. I was doing it for years. Uh, I didn't know what it was it's, called until I read in a magazine. It's called SaaS. It's S-A-A-S, yeah. right? Software as a service. And uh, when I started it, there was no word for it besides um, I thought it was it was a really lucrative thing. And, um, you know, yeah, so I, I just went all into it. I mean, it was, I think at the time I was, I was probably working for auditor in those days for the magazines, especially it was pretty slow, but I was probably making on the one website what I'd make in half a week at my job. Um, mm. and it was, it was, it seemed like, it seemed like a, like a no sort of brainer thing where it's just, um, you know, I can get better at this. I can, you know, it, it took me six to nine months to build the first site, but, um, literally after that, I mean, if I kept going down that path with the same market and the same used car lots, I mean, I'd get, I knew I'd get faster at it and, uh, it seemed, it seemed good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I guess, um, where, where were you before that? Was it the yellow pages? So I was at the yellow pages before that I was a sales rep. Um, there was 102 sales reps. I was always good at sales. So, um, there was 102 sales reps there. Um, I started obviously at the very bottom. Um, within sort of the first year, I was the number one sales rep by the second year. I was the sales, I was a sales trainer. Um, and it's really interesting. I don't think working was working for somebody else was in my future sort of, because, um, even though I was doing well at the job, at the yellow page job, I love the sales aspect of it, but I was missing something. I mean, uh, my dad was a businessman his whole life and I just liked the lifestyle that that gave. Um, I liked the idea of it. Um, unfortunately I didn't have a business, so I kind of ruined that. But yeah. so even when I was working at the yellow pages, I was always trying stuff. I was always trying to start something on the side, um, just to see what I could do. Um, I ended up leaving that job and that's when I got the job for the auto trader. Um, and auto yeah. trader was, again, it was just a job, but you know, you never know. I mean, things lead to other things. And this led me to my business now, which has been going for 18 years. Mm. Um, so it's interesting that I, I had that in the back of my head that I'm going to get into business. Um, how I got there is kind of convoluted, but I, I got there in the end. So 
I mean, we, we've got time if you want to go to the convoluted stuff. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll tell you. So I, I came up. Um, I hope you have a lot of time. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I was raised, like I said, my dad was a business owner his whole life. Um, I think he only had one job in the 70s or the late 60s. And then mm. other than that, he was a businessman. He traveled the world. I mean, so we moved around a lot. Uh, we lived in America for a while. We've lived in England. We've lived everywhere. Um, so I, I grew up around this sort of lifestyle that my dad had, um, which, which was a tough life, to be honest. He, he worked seven days a week. He worked eight o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. He was in retail, so you don't have recurring revenue. I mean, you literally hmm. have to have a customer come back in. So that requires a lot of hours. I, I still liked it. I still like the thrill of him controlling how much money he makes a month and how he organizes his business and you know even the buying side was really cool and seeing him buy something for a small price and then trade that up for a for a profit was amazing to me yeah that's amazing so that's the that's the kind of family i grew up in my brothers they went a different way i have two older uh brothers one's a computer science guy he works the other one's an aerospace engineer and i think it was assumed i was gonna go the kind of university route but i think my dad always knew i was going to go the business route it was really what i wanted to do so anyways um yeah my my dad owned a um he owned a corner shop in england in the 90s um i think i was sort of 18 years old maybe 19 years old i was working there for him um i worked there for six months before i realized i want to do something more than this and um I, within six months, I bought a post office. Um, I ran that for uh, a How old were you at that time? I, I might have been going on. So I, I think I was 19 when I started. Yeah. Probably like 19 and a half. Okay. Um, when I got the post office. You um, owned a post office at 19 yeah, and a half years old. Yeah. So I was okay. I worked in a corner shop for six months with my dad. Yeah. Um, I was a scruffy guy behind the till. And um, within six months, I saved enough money to, to go to the bank and get a loan and buy a post office. I just wanted to expand. I didn't quite know how I wanted to expand. I just wanted to acquire other yeah. other kind of I mean businesses. And um, it made sense to me at the time. So I, I did exactly that. Um, and then sitting in the post office for, for, for four or five months, I completely staffed it. So I wasn't really working there. Um, I had time on my hands. I started reading the magazines on the shelves. And this is where it gets a little bit crazy and it gets into my story. But I started reading video game magazines. I was playing a lot of video games. I had some, I had some time. Um, and I saw this magazine where Sony PlayStation was um, going to give rental licenses to some UK companies. Um, and to, to, to get this going and, and to, get it, um, to get the games out there, you needed, a, you needed a, I think it was a quarter million pounds in capital, um, which um, I had nowhere close to. Um, yeah. It didn't stop stop me. I applied for it. I actually won the bid on the licensing and I won the right to resell these games. Um, not having the money didn't stop me. I, re I realized I would, I would get it. I would get it. So I went to an accountant. Um, it wasn't you at the time, Nish, but I went to another guy. I would have been five, right? <laughs> you, you know no, what? No, you would have been great. You, you would have been great. Okay. Um, but yeah, I went to another guy and I, I, I um, gave him my business plan. And he kind of helped me flesh it out. We honed it out. We took it to the banks and um, I got um, I got approved for the loan. And actually, by the time all of it went through, um, well, uh, let me back up a step. I, I was approved for the loan on the contingency that I have a major client who's going to buy our um, our games for rent. So it would have to be a, like a chain of shops, I guess. So I booked four or five appointments the next couple of weeks after that. I went to Spar, I went to Londis, I went to Key Stores, I, all these brands I remember. And I got laughed out of one of them. I mean, the other one just turned me down. They looked at me, I was a little kid, and they said they didn't think I can do it. Um, and Key Stores actually gave me... Um, who, who are they now? I, I believe Key Stores was Leckerland at the time. I, I don't know quite oh, who they okay. are now, yeah. but I think that I think it was Leckerland was the brand and Key Stores was the name of the stores, yeah. like Spar. Um, they had a lot of stores. So they, they gave me a purchase order sort of, uh, well, they not a purchase order. They gave me um, a verbal agreement. It's kind of written actually that mm. they would stock my games into a thousand of their stores um, and they would then rent them out. Um, 
So I got that. I went back to the bank. The 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 bank manager, I can't remember his name now. He was he was a really good guy, and he said, "I think you're going to need more than a quarter million pound to get this off the ground with this many mm. customers." So I left it with him, and they came back and said, "We got you the youth, the Prince Charles Youth Trust Fund loan." Um, Lloyd's went in, Halifax went in, some other <coughs> banks went into it, and in the end, I was I think I was almost close to twenty at this point. Um, I had 450,000 pounds of capital and a thousand customers that were pre-sold pretty much. So I was feeling pretty good. Um, and then, um, like a month later, key stores pulls out, they pulled out, they said, um, we changed our mind. We don't think we want to do it. So I went back to the bank and, um, told them and they weren't very happy about that. I was young. I had a lot of drive in me. So I, I, I looked at him like I'm looking at you now, mm. and I said, listen to me. We've done the hard work. You're leaving with the easy bit. I can do this. Yeah. I can do it. And he's like, you're going to go door to door? I'm like, I'm going to assemble a sales team. Mm. I'm going to get these stores in. Um, I thought he was going to say no. He looked at me, mm. and he goes, give me a couple of days. Don't call me after a couple of days. He actually called me. I went to his house. Mm. Um, and, um, he said, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. So that was the beginning of it for me. Um, I got into the video game business, first order of stock. I bought like a hundred grand of video games. Yeah. Um, got offices, a warehouse, hired staff, um, got the show on the road, you know? Um, and then obviously it's going to go horribly wrong <laughs> because I'm young, because I got a lot of money that I've never had in my hands. And, I'm not quite experienced with what I'm doing. Um, so, you know, at, at that age, I, I pushed as hard as I could. I, I was pretty true to my word. I think we nailed about 400 clients. Um, so we got a lot of customers out of full sales force. I realized somewhere in the middle of that, six months in, that we weren't going to make it with the money that we had. And because I was young, no one was willing to extend the credit lines because it's just more debt. And how am I going to pay it? So I had cash flow coming in, but it wasn't enough for the banks or for them to say it's it's truly viable. So I knew this was headed towards a spot. Um, I, I I did the best I could, but after almost a year later, I think it was like nine or ten months in, mm. I had to um, just shut it down. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, that entails some other stuff, which entails going bankrupt because um, I had a bunch of debt I couldn't pay. Um, so, so um, that, that was all money that was lent to you, not like to a company, but I, I guess you'd have to give a personal guarantee. So, yeah, I gave, per, you know, again, at that time, cause you're young, I gave, I gave personal guarantees everywhere. I didn't see mm. the difference. It didn't matter to me. Um, knowing what I know now, yeah. it's a bit of a different game, but yeah, I think the only money that was secured was the Prince Charles youth trust fund mm. cash that was secured money. I didn't have to pay back if I lost, obviously, and the banks got that from them. But I still had a significant balance left. That okay, I fine. So out of that four fifty, not all of it was the Prince. Charles I think Island. about three, three, three thirty might have been three hundred and ten okay, might have been um, still owed, right? So I think one fifty was the Prince Charles guarantee. Got it. Okay, yeah. Um, so the rest was still owed, and um, basically I was I was told I was going to go bankrupt and um, life would be pretty um, harsh. Um, and I was young. I wasn't ready to do that yet. I wasn't ready mm. to pack it all in and give up. And so I did what any person would do if they had a choice. And I thought, well, I'm young. I mean, let me get on with my life. So I decided I spent some time in America when I was, when I was younger because my dad was out there for a while. So I decided to fly out and just start all over again, pretty mm. much. Um, and that's how I ended up in the States for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's a... And you're telling me the story about like, one of the lenders on that um uh, on that business was like HSBC and then they gave you your first mortgage oh. when you flew back. Oddly enough, yeah. So I, I was gone for quite a while. Um, it was Halifax, yeah. Oh, it was Halifax. Okay. So Halifax yeah. was one of the, was one of the, I mean, lenders, one of the, like the main ones. Um, and yeah, when I came back, I mean, no one filed a CCJ against me, so I had nothing on my credit. Mm. My credit was clean. Um, I applied for a mortgage on a house, which I still live in now, and Halifax gave me the mortgage. So, um, like I said, in those, you know, the bank is a business as well, right? Yeah, so, it is, yeah. Um, but in those days, they weren't really chasing. I was lucky they weren't chasing you for bad debt. I know people mm. now who are, are getting CCJs over a thousand pound bill. Yeah. I, I walked away relatively clean. I'm really thank, 
all of that. But um, yeah, I was just lucky at the time. And and so when you moved to the states, it wasn't it wasn't all roses at the beginning, was it? It was you yeah. had some hard times. <laughs> it was super hard. I mean, I just came out of this business where I had a bunch of money. Um, I had a lot of drive. I thought I was doing the right things. I was really deflated. Um, it was very difficult um, to get, even though I, I moved somewhere fresh and everything, mm. it was very difficult to get in the mindset um, of starting again. So, I did, and I was married at the time as well. I got married in between all this. Um, yeah. So being in the States, I decided, you know what, let me just get some jobs. I'll get a job. Let me just get my head clear and uh, see what's going to happen. So the first job I got was, oddly enough, was selling cars. Okay. Um, yeah. For a few months, and I was a horrible car salesman, and um, and they fired me. Um, Why weren't you good at it? I, you know, it's funny. My business now helps car dealers sell cars, which is amazing. <laughs> Personally, I I um, am no good at selling cars, and I think it's I think I just wasn't passionate about selling cars. I think there was people who were really good at doing it. Mm. I I don't think it was something I was. I was amazed by or just wanted to put my heart into doing. Um, I got to love what I'm doing. I got to love what I'm selling. And I think what I'm selling now is more of a solution for customers. It's something that they really, really need. Everybody needs a car. I mean, it's not a hard sell, I guess. You know, if someone walks onto your dealership, they're they're probably going to buy a car unless you're as bad a salesman as me and you can't sell them one. Um, but it wasn't exciting enough for me. So I just I think I didn't put my all into it. So, because I know a lot of um, web developers, right? And they they spend a lot of time building a website. They they pull their hair out because the customers don't get them information on time. Of course. And um and then they've got this transactional model, and then they 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 sell hosting at the same time. So they got this recurring income as well. And then I, I guess everything you do is recurring. Like you, you don't have any any transactional element to it, do you? No, no. Um, but how do you? How did you make your business into that recurring model when, like so many other people, it was was, was it an accident? I, purely an accident. I, I, you know, I'll be honest. I don't. I don't think it was an accident. No, I think um, it might have been a little bit of of foresight. I'm not mm. saying I'm the smartest guy on the planet. I'm the only one who thought of this. But when I go back to the story and I tell you I sold my first customer, well, he asked me for a website. And yeah, I, I built him one. My my whole plan was to just do the one website. That I was done. Mm. I just wanted to see if I can do it. It was a challenge, and I thought I got nothing else going on. I might as well. Yeah. And when he offered me the recurring money, I, it, like I said, it it switched something in my mind. I thought this is not a hobby. This is not a one off. This is a business. And then, um, because I was an auto trader rep, I was exposed to a lot of car dealerships. Um, so naturally, I went to other customers of mine and said, "Hey, I built this website. Would you like one?" And some of them bought them. Some of them didn't. And um, I, I did have one dealer early on who told me, um, hey, um, I built him a, a site. Yeah. And he told me, hey, my brother-in-law has a construction company, my uh, something. My sister has a flower store. I, I don't know. My local dentist needs a site. I can get you loads of business. And not, not for any other reason than he liked me. I did a good job for him. Yeah. But I'm like, look, uh, I got to get these web builds faster. The first one took me six to nine months. The mm -hmm. second one took me a few months. I need to get better at this. The more I deviate... I'm not going to get to where I need to go. So I was turning down jobs. Yeah. And you could call that, you know, being smarter. You can call it um, just only being able to focus on the one thing. I don't know. But it turns well, out focusing. Cool, uh, vertical niching. Sure. So um, I think your question goes back to, you know, what do uh, you know a lot of web web people? So do I. Yes. Yeah. Um, they all start the same way. And it's because they listen to other web people and typically web companies don't have consistent money coming in and the reason is they all listen to one another and they're taking mm -hmm. on any job they can where actually the hosting side of it you're right is the recurring income and they sell mm -hmm. that but it's not worth a whole lot so you're building a recurring income on a very small ticket item yeah. and your main ticket item you're just getting a one-off payment mm -hmm. for so what you end up doing is chasing money every month chasing new customers every month um, the model I had in mind is I didn't want to do that. I wanted to um, sell a customer, bill him the next month and add another customer. Mm. Now I got two billing for the next month. And that was my plan. It was recurring income piled on top of one another and eventually would be enough for me to survive in a decent way. Yeah. Um, 
and I think that's the trick a lot of businesses miss. It's not good for every business that way, but a lot of businesses miss that trick where um, they they do something really well. They get some clients. The clients kind of move them on to something else. They ask for another service. They ask for something, and they're like, the client's going to pay us more. We got to do it. Sometimes you tell the client, we can't do that. It's not our plan, you know, yeah. and, and some people have a hard time saying that, I guess, right? But I did not. I wanted to well, stay on path. Well, you know what? I, I, I've had lots of conversations with um, with business owners over the years, probably hundreds, if not a thousand. Um, and one thing, all the success, actually, there's a few things all successful business owners have in common, but I, I, that could be another show. But the one thing I've noticed definitely is um, they, they are very specific. I've, I've very rarely come across a, um, a successful business that has um, lots of different types of customers they support in lots of different ways. And it's, um, and I think most business owners I talk to, they just struggle to recognize that when you just pick this one thing or, or just a really um, limited number of things that you, you focus on excelling at, that's where you just get a, a get ahead of any other kind of competition. And yeah. When you say so when you went to your second customer and you you said, um, "Oh, it's uh, X amount a month for this website," did they say, "Hey, can I just pay you one off?" Or was there a norm in that industry? Or uh, you know, there was there was the norm in the industry. I was to find out uh, a little while later was a one off payment. That was the norm. But the one off payment was in the thousands of dollars. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So I did have one customer, maybe the fifth or sixth customer I try to sell is like, why would I pay you every month? Yeah. And I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? He's like, there's a guy going on now doing the same thing. And um, yeah. he's charging a one-off payment of a few grand. Yeah. And I said, well, listen, number one, why would you want to pay anybody a one-off? I'm like, who's going to maintain your site after that? Yeah. And you call this guy for help. He's going to charge you for everything. Yeah. I'm like, secondly, you understand tech is changing really fast. Mm. I just made all this up. Yeah. Well, you understand tech is changing. Well, I mean, I'm not wrong though, but no, I was no, like, you know, yeah, I get tech it. is changing really fast. You're going to have to redo your site. You're going to have to keep up with stuff. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? And um, I'm like, I believe in my stuff so much mm. that I'm telling you for $199 a month, zero down, yeah. I will build you the best site you've ever had. I will maintain it. If anything mm. breaks, you call me, I will fix it. If yeah. you want to add something, I'll do it, right? Um, I'm here for you, for you. I work for mm. you, for like you, and you're buying me at $199 a month. Yeah. I'm like, the other person's going to make 3000 from you. Yeah. He's not coming back. Yeah. So decide where your money's better spent. Do you want to go with the guy who doesn't believe in himself so much he wants all the money up front? Or do you want to go with the guy who's losing money the first couple months, mm. the first three months, four months? I have to do a good job to get paid. Yes. And I have to continue doing a good job to get paid. You mm. can fire me at any time. Yeah. So... Um, I think he did buy off of me in the end, mm. but I did, I did, I did have a few that didn't buy off me. Um, so w w would you say you were one of the first people in the auto industry that actually did like monthly paid websites? Definitely the first that I've ever come across. Yeah. yeah at that time. Uh, now it's the norm. I'm not saying I set the norm, yeah. but I didn't know anybody else doing it. I came up with that accidentally and by myself. Well, so I guess like your first customer you were saying was like a, a friend um, who, who had faith in you. Yeah. And then, but then how did you, how did you get your first few customers? Like where, where did you um, find them? That's a really good question. I don't, I don't, and I don't get asked that enough, I don't think. Mm. But literally, so the first one was tough. Even showing him the site, I was nervous because I didn't know if he's going to like it. I didn't know if he's going to say, mm. this is the, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Right. Um, I showed it to him and he loved it. And then when he, like I said, I wanted a one-off payment. He offered me a monthly payment for it. That solidified in my heart that he loved it. And I felt good. I walked yeah. out of there strutting. I felt great, you know? So the next um, customer, I'm taking that same strut. I'm taking that confidence mm. that I have. And when I'm pitching the next person, mm. I'm fully confident in what I'm trying to sell now. Yeah. So I think the first guy, not just being a friend, but he made me a real, I'm a believer in myself. So... I, I I went into every sales meeting after that with complete confidence that I was I was selling. You, you a must good have product. quite a few rejections of that early uh, early on, right? But if I if I gave you numbers, like I'm telling you, I, I sold five or six dealers just like that. Yeah. But I mean, over the first three years, I sold a couple hundred dealers, and I must have knocked on over twelve, thirteen hundred doors. Mm. So the rejection is massive. It's five, six to one. Yes. Yeah. Right. 
Um, but I don't care about them as much. Mm. I don't care about being told no. I, I, the one yes out of six gets me excited enough to carry on. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, otherwise, I'd be scared if I got more people saying yes. I'd be like, number one, I'm either mm. underpriced. Or number two, this market's not going to make it. It's going to be saturated, right? Because everybody's going to know this is a gold mine in here. So yeah. I, I like the stuff I'm doing to be a little bit tough, a little bit hard, because it keeps people out. And secondly, to to, to stay on top, you got to be really good at what you do. I don't want to do this business if I'm not great at what I do. Mm. So, so how many customers do you have now? That you um, we have about 500 customers now. Okay. It's going to sound small because I got a couple hundred in the first few um, years yeah. of my life. But my priorities changed. Business mm-hmm. was going well. I had staff who would run it. I had kids at the time that were just born. And I decided, you know, I'm doing great. What do I want to do? And that's how I've always lived. And I decided, you know, I could um, carry on growing and growing mm-hmm. and growing and have several thousand customers now, which I believe I really could have done. Or I can take a step back and I can spend some time with my kids when they're young. I got the one shot mm-hmm. here. And so my brain works in a funny way some, sometimes. But I guess like, um, like you know, from, from conversations we've had in the past, websites are actually quite a, small, a smaller part of your overall business now, aren't they? Yeah. They, they, like before they were your business, whereas now they're more of a, um, not a loss leader, but a, they're, they're more of a lower margin product that gets people into buy and you've got a lot of things to upsell. Yeah. So I, I guess your average customer value has gone up substantially it's it's gone way up and actually with the with with the websites themselves because we focus on one product we built software that builds websites for us um it takes a couple minutes to build a site it's not that big a deal um and we deal in the same sort of industry so they're all typically the same kind of sites um we don't even sell the websites we just give them away to be honest with you the the part we want to make money is from the software so, well, so wh- why do you give them away is that just because the competition in in your areas in- intensified so much that you've got to use it as a loss leader um almost but not not truly that it's we give them away because i think personally our software is some of the best out there it does everything they need to do to mm. sell a car from the financing to the marketing to to the I mean control of price on several different websites it takes care of everything. Mm. If we let somebody else do the website, we lose a bit of control, and this is when things can get sloppy. Um, so we make sure that if you're our customer, we're going to make sure everything you have is running smooth and in mm. sync. And so we need to control certain elements that are customer facing to make sure that it's right. Otherwise, our product loses its its sort of strength i guess a, a bit right yeah i, I know what you mean yeah. like um yeah i mean e- even for what we do where 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 people have got like another accountant involved in one part part of their business because it, it it you know for historic reasons it get it just adds another level of complication yeah. so there, there's something to be said about the synergy of keeping everything in one place and, and uh, having one absolutely. person with that overview yeah um but I, I guess like since you adopted that model you know the pay pay monthly websites like a, you probably had a lot of competition spring up anyway didn't you i mean there was there there was me and there was one other company that i heard about at the time like a year after i started up and they were on the yeah. east, they were on the east coast or on a different side of the states as me and um today there must be 90 to 100 competitors okay, right. in this space it's up oh it's an insanely mm. competitive space um, so it is really tough. It's tough for a startup yeah. to actually come in and try and conquer any of this space now. Um, it, it's mm. really embedded. Um, the competitors that are out there are, they're sort of, I mean, entrenched in their markets. Um, it is a tough business now. Yeah. It's a really But then, then that's why you've got all the other elements of the marketing and advertising you do um, for those customers because that there's probably less competition though, so you can get a healthier margin. There, you know, yeah, that's for definite. Um, I'm also tough though, so it's a tough business, and I'm also tough. So I, yeah. I, I don't want to relent what I've built. I don't want to. I don't want to, um, you know, not be a relevant company. So we reinvent ourselves quite, quite a bit. I mean, for the first three years of our business, we were just a website business. We didn't have the software side of things. Um, we actually outsourced the software to another company, um, and we gave them fifty percent of our profits for to use their software side. Um, that guy eventually—I won't name his name—eventually um, he tried to uh, break our company into by our clients were used to the software, used to our sites, everything was going yeah. well. He pulled the plug on the software and said, um, "I'm doubling your prices," which means I pay him a hundred percent of our profit for every client. Yeah. 
So what he was doing was trying to take all my clients. That's the bottom line. And um, I called every one of my clients and I said, wait, wait for me. Wait three months. Mm. Um, and don't don't leave. Wait for three months. Come out with something better. Well, my clients gave me like a month. Um, and we paid a bunch of people and we came out with a okay product. It wasn't it wasn't even good, but it did the job. Yeah. Um, and, you know, long story short, today we're a software company. It wasn't my choice to get into software. Sometimes your competitors will push you to it. And I'm, I'm glad that they did because <coughs> that's where we ended up. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but again, the reason I got into software wasn't because I was smart enough to get into it. It's because I wanted to survive, mm. I wanted my business to thrive. And I realized I have to control things for that to happen. I can't depend on people with something that's so important that can bring my business down. I guess um, ultimately you didn't do this all by yourself, did you? So you've uh, you've had to build a team along the way. What, what, how did that work? I've got a like? I've got a fantastic team. Of, I got a fantastic team. Um, really, like the best people I could imagine. Um, the team was. It was fairly big. I mean, within a few years, we had about 14 to 15 people working for us. Um, we had our corporate offices, everything else is normal. Um, I did most of the programming work because I just fell into that. I, I do like doing it. Um, mm. But o- over the years now, we're, we're down to a really manageable team. I think there's five of us now. Um, so how, how can, if you got like, you know, two and a half times as many clients as you did in the earlier days and but you got like one third of the team mm-hmm. how, how is that happening is that just automation um li- you know literally we had a lot of jobs that needed to be filled because um we didn't have the automation of the software and amazingly enough being a software company not having the software is pretty typical <laughs> yes <laughs> um so I, I spent a lot of time building automated processes that take care of the really mundane stuff the stuff that was labor intensive, but we needed a lot of staff for it mm. to the people I have working for me now are absolutely necessary in this business. They're, they're, um, they're earning well. Um, they're completely necessary. Um, they love what they do because they're important they're vital. They cannot be replaced by a machine or software. Um, so they take great pride in their jobs. Um, I take pride in them. Um, and we just built a really lean business, which times like, like this now, um, you know, it pays to be lean, right? So yeah, that's what we did. I mean, we, we got rid of our corporate offices in 2017, 16, mm. way before other people thought it was cool to get rid of their offices. Um, so we got rid of ours early on. We had our staff. Didn't you have a big neon sign on the wall or something? We we oh. we had a huge sign on the wall. We had a bell, you know, so when we made a, sales. A bell. A bell. Oh, right. Just like the old movies, you know. Yeah, so when, so they when ring the bell. yeah, nice. when somebody makes a sale, they get up and they ring this bell. It was really messy and it was really fun, um, but we sort of outgrew that. Today we, um, yeah, it's fun though talking about that because we started off like a. It was really rough shot, man. It was. Um, it was like Wolf of Wall Street, or kind yeah, of without the drugs and everything. Yeah, I, I but could, I yeah. mean, it was just highly motivated. So if you talk about the Wolf of Wall Street, where these people were like making hundreds of calls. It was super motivating. Um, when you hear that bell go, it was it was, it was powerful. It made people mm. want to work harder and, and sell harder. Um, then we kind of outgrew that because we got to a stage where, okay, we're big enough. We were a professional company. Mm. Um, and people, we got into bigger sort of markets. The same, the same thing, the same car lot stuff, but bigger markets. We got into partnership deals with partners who are very corporate. Um, and we start having to grow up a little bit. So we've got, you know, we're, we got more processes in place now, more things in place. Those days are gone. They'll always be the funnest days for, for me, but, um, yeah, we got really, you know, just really, I mean, efficient at what we're doing. Um, really, really cleaned up. Mm. Oh, it sounds amazing. Yeah. So what would you say the biggest challenges when you've been building and running your business? I think, I think at first I, 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 th- I can't, it's hard to answer for myself, but I, I would say people I speak to, the the biggest challenge is you're never going to have a business that stays in the number one spot without mm. you constantly revising your business plan. Um, because markets change, things change. And I, I, I talk to a lot of people who say, man, business was thriving a bunch of years ago, and now it's it's not. 
have you kept up with what's happening? Because if you don't keep up, you're going to fall back. It's just the Mm -hmm. way it is. And you got to innovate constantly. And I think so again, saying that I think the biggest challenge is the fact that we have to redefine ourselves every so often. You got to change and it costs money to change and that you have Mm -hmm. to be thinking about two years ahead, three years ahead all the time. There's no time to sit back and rest. But I also like that part of it. I don't want to sit back and rest. I want to innovate as well. So I I like that. I like that whole sort of vibe of that. You know, I, I really enjoy that. So for me, it's a challenge. I, I get it. But it's a it's a welcome. It's a welcome challenge. Okay, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's a really good point, actually. And I, I think that's really relevant at the moment, because, you know, we're, we're heading into a recession, although I know people are told not to talk about it in case they cause it. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, well, then the other side of it is like a you know, recession, you lose one point in your economy, you still got the other 99. Sure. And, um, and uh, I think there's always an opportunity to work harder. Sometimes you just got to tighten your belt, but you can always um, still get ahead. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think, yeah, you know, going into a recession in terms of, you know, what you're talking about in terms of adapting, I, I guess, like, people still buy, they just buy differently, and they buy different things. And um, I remember uh, watching a, uh, I think it was a podcast with Alan, not Alan Sugars, uh, Brad Sugars, he's the uh, founder of Action Coach. Oh, right. And yeah, and he was talking about how he had a business like... Um, in 2008 and that they sold motorhomes and then um you know overnight all the finance was pulled so no one could get the finance to buy a motorhome so they essentially you know they converted the business into a business that could rent motorhomes um obviously they would have had to get the funding to do it somewhere but yeah. there's always um and yeah you're absolutely right because even if you're not in a recession just the economic there'll be economic cycles within a particular industry that sure. will mean that you've got to keep on changing even if um the overall economy is relatively stable yeah it's it's been it's been happening i mean i i can't think of in the 18 years that i've been i've been going the most stable i've been is probably for a two or three year stretch at yeah. a time it's always changed but with that change comes growth like even now when when times are tough and people are kind of some not everyone but some people businesses are running for the hills you know, I think now is a great time to redefine your business and to get those customers that you really want. Because the same way that a business is a bit confused about what they're doing, their old model isn't quite working right now. Mm. So are businesses. Businesses that are your clients are thinking the same thing, which means there's a middle ground to be met there. Yeah, uh, we just got to meet, right? Mm. So, what, I mean, if that's the biggest challenge, what would you say the biggest setback for you was like? Because really what I want to get to the bottom of in, in this podcast is like the, the thing, you know, sometimes people looking in on a business owner and um, and they, they will see someone who's quite successful and then they'll f- forget everything or they won't understand everything that person had to sure. go through to get to that together you know there, there can be an assumption people were born with a silver spoon in their mouth yeah could be oh they just got lucky yeah but um actually like you know i've, I've seen a lot of businesses fail luckily not too many of our clients but yeah. um i've seen a lot of businesses fail uh, over the years and um and they they get this setback and i'm like hey you know and I, i'm thinking in the grand scheme of it that's probably quite a small setback but um, it, it, it's about perspective, isn't it? As well, like you know, what yeah. seems small for someone is big for someone else, and yeah. and they they may, might just not be able to overcome it. So you know, for you, what was your biggest setback? Sure, I, and I, I, I maybe told, even I, top three. I, I think you've had a long career, so you got dozens. But I I think you're right about that. Looking from the outside in, my my kids are the um, they're the main ones in that one. My kids think this is just the way it's always been. You know, yes, yeah. dad's a lucky guy. We've always lived like this and it's not true. <laughs> so mm. you're right. I, it, it's hard for someone to look into another business and say, have you ever struggled or, uh, you know, yes. Mm. So the biggest that I said one already was early on, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing well on the sales side mm. and the software company who I was out outsourcing to, they pulled the plug, almost pulled us out of business. I mean, mm. if I lost those initial customers I got, that word would have spread so fast I could have never have recouped. Um, but all it did was drive me. It drove me to call every customer, explain yeah. the situation, not lie to them, no. explain the situation and say, yeah. listen, this is what's happened. You know I'm a good guy. You know my company's good. I need you to stick with me. Yes. And yeah. for the most part, maybe one or two of them didn't, but for the most part, they all did. Mm. Um, cause they believed in me. I believed in me. So that was a huge setback that probably would have 
put most people under. Um, my mind doesn't work in that way. My mind just works in, all right, what do I need to do to mm. fix this, right? Um, so I guess that supplier underestimated the power of the loyalty and the bond that you formed with the customers at that point. Absolutely, and the faith I had in myself. That that mm. software company is no longer around. He was out of business five years after I started up. So that oh, tells right, you okay. a lot about the mindsets of yeah. different companies, right? Um, but the part I didn't mention was eight, nine months after that, I got an investor in who wanted to put money in open yeah. offices and hire staff. And I was like, great. And I gave them 50% of the company. And um, after a couple months, he put in 20 grand and he he pulled the plug. He was having trouble with his wife or something yeah, random. Yeah, yeah. He had Is an that, affair or something oh, on his wife. It, okay. and she controlled the money. And yeah. He's like, I can't give you anymore. I had eight. I had like eight people working there. I had yeah. office rent. I had payroll. So I go to him and say, "Look, it's bad timing. Yeah. But just give me that last bit of money so I can pay the staff and get yeah. rid of them because I can't afford them." Yeah. And he goes, "You know what? Don't even worry about them. They'll be all right." And I'm like, "What do you mean they'll be all right?" It's- and I realize my these people's mindset is not what mine is. So actually, as broke as I was and as lean as I was, and not mm. a lot of capital around. I took my wife's credit card and borrowed the maximum I could off it mm. and some of my own. And I paid all the staff and then fired them. And guess what? Mm. Even after I paid them, I still had to fire them. And they hated me. I saw their faces. They were disgusted yeah. with me. But I did the right thing. What they don't realize is I did the right thing. Yeah. The original option was don't pay them, just get rid of yeah. them. I can't do that. So I did the right thing. And, you know, that's that's that. But that was another setback. And I've had multiple of these set, setbacks. Mm. Um I think the guy, when I said I wanted to take some time off to spend time with my kids, mm. the person I had running the business was he's a great guy. I loved him to death. And one day he had a heart attack. He was 56 mm. years old. He had a heart attack and he died. And um, another setback. I mean, set, that's a life setback and it's a business setback. But he was in charge of everything. So yeah, the next manager I hire after him... Um, he works for me for a year and a half. He goes to a rival company and tries to steal all of our all of our customers. Mm. So I mean, at this point, a normal human I think would have said enough's enough. Yes. Uh, luckily, I don't think in that way. I just kept going. But what I did is after this last, every, with every setback, I learned something. Yeah. So with that setback in particular, that was a really important one to me. I gave the power to my really loyal employees. Mm. who are still with me now. I gave them the power to make choices. I gave them the money that comes with that power. Um, They were in charge of their destiny and in turn the destiny of our company. Um, And so I split that power where no one person could could do anything bad to us anymore. No one person controlled everything, not even me. and and actually that that worked really well. So again, sorry to make a a long story, a long story longer. I'll try to make it shorter. Uh, with every setback comes opportunity, right? And what you just said a, a second ago, with the economic setback we're looking at right now, whether it's a recession or not, or probably is, but let's say it's not, um, there's always opportunity. And, and this is what we have to keep our eyes open for. You got to look through all the all the bad stuff and see what's mm-hmm. there. And I think it's a great time to have a business right now. I really do. And I'm, Yeah, I, I think that people... Um Actually, I, I think recession, in my opinion, is one of the best times to start a business. Because you, at the start of your business, you've you've got this energy. Whereas usually, um, at the start of a recession, that's when business owners start to run out of energy. Yeah. And um, and yeah, if you if you got the energy when they haven't, that's when you're going to stand out. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, and I you know the, the beauty of of the world now is like, I I I can imagine a time probably thirty years ago if I wanted to set up an accounting firm. I'd have to go hire or lease some kind of building, put my name on the front. Mm-hmm. Um, I might not even been able to advertise based on the institutions I'm part of. But um, whereas now it's just, you know what, out of the, the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds I've spent on marketing over, over the years, I've realized all the stuff that's got us clients have been pretty much free or inexpensive. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just been about me putting the effort um, to, to actually go out and and have those conversations and put myself out there and get mm-hmm. our team to do the same thing. But 
Um, yeah, I would love that. You're, uh, you're money but, back, but it's yeah. You're, you know what? You're absolutely right. I mean, one, one, yeah. one thing I tell um, some business owners sometimes is that you know don't ever judge yourself in good times because everybody's having a good time, right? I mean, everybody's doing well, but you need these bad times to shake out the competition that's weak or not doing a great job. What you end up mm. doing when times are really good. Like in the run up to the mortgage crash, right? So yeah. from 2000 to say 2006, when times were just booming, everybody's doing well, everybody's buying everything, and a lot of junk ends up in the in the in sort of in the like like the landscape in the business landscape. A lot of bad service, a lot of bad food, a lot of because anybody can just open something and it's working. Yeah, and so the quality of services and goods goes way down. Mm. And when you have the shakeup, the first people to go are the people who aren't any better than the average quality. The, the me too businesses. Sure. Although I've been told I'm not allowed to use that term anymore. Um, <laughs> You've been using a lot of terms. You're not allowed to use. No, well, maybe yes. <laughs> but no, you're you're right. So those those kind of copycat business. I mean, people don't want copycat, the same. Yeah. Right, yeah. But people don't want the same. I'm. You know what? I'm not allowed to say cat. Mm. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, People don't want when when times are tough like this and money's a bit scarce and people are afraid of you know bills are going up and everything. Everybody, no matter who it is, even me or you or anybody, is going to spend a pound. It better be worth it to spend that pound. So this is a good time to shake up these businesses and let the weak ones fail. The strong ones will pick up, and once this economy starts to roll again, new blood will enter these fields and bring competition again. Which actually we have to step up at that point again because it's just a cycle of of, of life, right? Um, so that that's that's how I look at it. Yeah, I I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so you know, there's opportunity in um, of course in in any downturn. Um, okay, awesome. And what so what gets you out of bed every morning? What drives you to um, improve your business to grow it or you know what so that's a great question <laughs> that's really is good um because i have the luxury of having this business i don't really have to wake up in the morning i can yeah. sleep in a little late if i want to but i don't sleep in because what drives me is making sure this company is doing the best it can this company literally has given me everything i owe everything to it the lifestyle mm. it's given me and for my kids and for my family and for my friends and and uh for my employees and for their families um, I, I just respect it too much just to, to, to sleep into it. I, I literally want to drive this company as far as I can. Mm. Um, it's not about the money. It's about the pride. And I think when you believe in what you're doing and your customers call you and say, thanks, and you'll go a mile for them within your plan. Um, I think it just makes you want to do better and better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and Actually, I, I can I can relate to that because w- once I built like a great team and we had some amazing customers that we really wanted to work with, I, I realized I, I didn't want not want to be the weakest link in that equation. Yeah, yeah. and um, and yeah, and it's kind of you know m- maybe when you're in your first year of business or I was and I was fantasizing about just sitting on a beach somewhere tapping mm-hmm. away on my laptop. Yeah, but actually the reality is very different now. It's like now it's about showing up in a yeah. professional manner. Yeah, and um and inspiring people that you work with and um and well also they inspire you. But um yeah. actually th- that's also the importance of just building that solid culture. Yeah, and working with the right people. You're only an average of the people you you surround yourself sure. by. Absolutely. And um and yeah and I, I think. That that's uh, surrounding yourself by the right people just makes a huge, huge difference. It does. No, it it does. It does for sure. I like I said. I mean, I look. I I've I've known you for a while, and I've seen your team build up, mm. and it's amazing to see. And you know, it's amazing to see any business grow into something that's that's um, a backbone of your own business. Now, I mean, your customers will rely on you to to do your stuff. We couldn't do our businesses unless you did yours. So everybody's reliant on the chain. And yeah. that's why you cannot you cannot let a customer down. You cannot within your business plan. I say that because some customers ask for stuff outside of your plan. You must turn mm. them down because you can't do everything. But the stuff you promise that you're going to do, you must fulfill that so the customer can do what he's going to do or mm. she's or she's going to do. Um, it's or they or they right. It, but it's vital that that chain continues. And one weak part of that chain, and it doesn't work. So mm. you you're right about you have to surround yourself with people who are who are really good at what they do because you can't have anything weak in that chain. Yeah, absolutely. And 
You know what? I think um, we've been talking for almost an hour, actually. So that's, um, and I've got one final question. So sure, it just sure. brings me to it. Um, so, what advice would you give to someone following in your footsteps? It's so I, I, I'm from a service business. You know, you can say I, I'm a website software guy. So that's more service, I guess, than product business, right? Because we, it's a monthly service. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, from 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 the stuff I know and from from the stuff that I personally do, I would say that um, you really got to find your thing. You know, there's, it's okay to be a website person and say, you know what, I can do websites better than this company does them. How better? Because as long as you don't end up doing the same thing. So you got to redefine what it, you got to define. What is it that you want to do? Um, like we said, the copycat stuff, right? So the advice yeah. I would give is mine might seem accidental it is the first sale was accidental and then it was on purpose and then I focused on it, but find something that, that you're passionate about, find something that differentiates you because you have to be different. Um, you don't want to do a business that does the same. I mean, even as an accountancy, yeah. like what you guys do, you're not an accountancy. I mean, you do a lot of stuff there. Right? Mm. You're a coach, you're a mentor, you're an accountant. You have plans to, to help people go from point A to point B. This is absolutely vital stuff. Why would I? Why would somebody leave your accountancy to get a copycat accountant because they're not going to do the stuff mm. you do? Or if so, if if a lot of accountants start copying what you're doing, you got to yeah. step your game up a little bit. So I would. That's my advice. Sorry, it's really scrambling. No, no, it makes it makes. My sense. advice is to make sure you're doing something that you love, that you're good at, and that's different mm. or better than. Try to be better than. Yeah, that, that's absolutely amazing advice, actually. And um, yeah, my own business coach, um, she's got a saying, productize to decommoditize. So um, essentially, if, cool. you, if you've got something that's readily comparable, all people are going to do is beat you down on price. You know, yeah. you, can, you can be as nice and as you want, and you yeah. can say your service is better, but there's always going to be this price element. If you can turn yourself into something completely unique as yeah. a proposition, then that's when um, suddenly you don't have competition. I agree. Um, and then that's where you can make the margins you need to, to really scale. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I, and that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'd really like to thank you for joining us on the podcast today. So um, to the viewers, you've been listening to Unrelenting Drive. This is on every month. So we'll have another business owner that we'll be interviewing next month. So just make sure you keep watching. Thanks for having me on.